Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Indy Cornrows. And of course, read us over at IndyCornrows.com. Uh, Caitlin put out a really great scouting report, scouting report, coaching profile, I should say, on Terry Stotts recently uh, worth worth checking out because that's one of the things we're here to talk about today. Joined by my lovely co-host, good friend, Tom Lewis. Tom, it has been forever since we've talked. It was good to catch up for a couple minutes before the pod. How are things Absolutely. for you over in Seattle? Good, good. Taking a little uh, vacay here. Uh, um, visiting some family and and uh, yeah, I had an aunt had a hundredth birthday we celebrated. So that is awesome. That was nuts. She's in better shape than me. Pretty sure <laughs> about that. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, summertime and some good summer playoff hoops to follow. And of course, you know now we're starting to get a little Pacers news with the coaching search. So off season is uh, is always uh, crazy, and this one will definitely be crazy with the Pacers. Yeah, most definitely. And the, the first thing I actually want to dive into uh, before we even talk about the coaching search, um, Philadelphia 76ers lost uh, yesterday. The Atlanta Hawks, first of all, shout out Nate McMillan. Uh, yeah, awesome. I, I thought he's coached a really great playoffs. Obviously, credit to all the players. Trey Young's been fantastic. Kevin Herter, game seven, Kevin yesterday was something to watch. And mm-hmm. um but I'd also just say, like, for Nate, this is really awesome. I'm tired of the referendums already because they've been happening. Like, Nate admitted himself, you know, it was time to move on from the team. It was time for the team to move on from him, I should say. Um, and he's he's changed things up in Atlanta. And it also, it's just worth noting, having a good roster, it makes a difference. Uh, just <laughs> worth noting, having a top 15 player drastically changes your opportunities in the playoffs. Uh, who who could have thought, Tom? Yeah, that's right. At the end of the day, you gotta have guys who are willing to make plays at the, at the crucial times and and uh, step up. And and it seems like you got a few of those coming out of the woodwork, and and they're feeding off each other. It feels like, which is great, you know. And and uh, uh, you know that they're going to be disciplined and and playing hard underneath. So um, they're all bought in and with what he's selling and and make them plays and then that makes them look like a better coach right yes. say, you know you get, you get the certain players oh, all of a sudden I'm, be- I'm a better coach but yeah that, that's part of it so um so yeah real, i mean obviously I've, I've mentioned on here a few times over the years that um you know nate mcmillan is mr sonic and and a guy that you know i came of age uh following quite closely and and you know he's you know about five years older than me or so so uh, he's a guy that's just always been just a quality uh, guy that represents everything you want about, you know, an organization, uh, win or lose, no matter what, you know, just as a person. So seeing him get these the success here and, and, you know, he's a free agent. He's going to get paid, too, whether <laughs> yeah. he stays in Atlanta or not. So it's good for him as well. So, yeah, it's been fun to root for yeah, most definitely. Um, also, too, I gotta say, I was I put this out on the timeline yesterday. This is uh, 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. This feels like the most uh, surprising conference champ, conference not champion, uh, conference finalist uh, mm-hmm. in my recent memory. Like, I think a lot of people. Yeah, be right. Yeah, I mean, hold on, let me pull some up because just in, in jogging my memory, like even I mean, 12, 13 Pacers, like that team was awesome during the regular season. So I don't really think that was that surprising. I wasn't covering the team then, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe to. You could correct me if I'm wrong on that. I know 13, 14, of course, was not surprising that the team got there. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's – hold on. I'm, I'm going back through. But are any coming up for you? The, the best one yeah, I mean, and, were the 99 Knicks. But. Right, but just having those top teams going down, not making it to the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals um, at, at all is, is crazy. And then – um, again, some of the some of the young guys are just stepping up and, and making plays, and you know you see it, it seems like the Clippers are playing almost better without Kawhi, but you know then the Suns are playing good without Chris Paul. It's like these teams have uh, some nice depth of talent, and you can see why you know but you know they have those leadership, those top guys. But really, I mean they they got some quality depth guys playing playing their roles and playing them well to uh to make it happen and um it, it's just been great seeing all these different guys get this kind of exposure you know i could care less i guess about the ratings <laughs> you know uh, yeah me say, too i'm the sick ratings, of who cares? Yeah. it's like hey if there's more people that that play good basketball then you know maybe they can expand the the uh the playing field make it a little more level across the league so um it's, it's from my perspective been great yeah, we're in the same boat there. I'm sick and tired of people who bring up the ratings. I'm I'm sorry. Like, actually, no, I'm not sorry. It's just it's it's annoying. First of all, not even just about it being annoying. I just think largely it's kind of unfounded. Like, you can get the Nielsen ratings or whatever, but at the same time, like, okay, neat. You, you don't that the, there's just, there's just so much more that goes into it. We don't even need to hash that out. But point being, <laughs> I, I'm going back through. I think this is the most surprising. Maybe you could pull like the Oklahoma Oklahoma City in like 2011. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't think any. Yeah, this Hawks team's got to be up there for me. Um, but point being, obviously the Sixers lose last night. Uh, they were finished first in the East. I think third overall in the league. Uh, and we're looking uh, pretty primed to try and make a deeper run, and they they fall short. Um, a lot more goes into it than just one play, but most notably, Ben Simmons spin move, wide open look at the rim, tosses the ball off to Matisse Thybul. Matisse gets fouled, does not hit the shot, misses one of his free throws, and uh, he gets dragged post game and during the game for it too. But uh, dragged not just on Twitter, but also by uh, Doc Rivers and. Uh, Joel Embiid, which I I guess I could understand in some regards, a, a player dragging uh, their teammate. But Doc Rivers' comments after the game that was damning to me. Um, I could I like yeah, I was rough. frankly astounded by that. I was like, you can't, in my opinion, at least. I, I think it's one thing to be critical. Um, that was wild to me. Uh, what was your your reaction to some of that? Yeah, I agree. Cause I mean, cause Doc usually, I, I feel like he's pretty good about saying, come on, guys, it's, I, I'm not talking about that. You know, the way the, the question was raised, yeah. you know, it's too close, you know, that type of thing, push off that type of a criticism. And he just went right to it. <laughs> so it was, uh, it, that was kind of uh, alarming, you know, and, you know, Embiid was, you know, 
trying to find the right words to say it and he couldn't and he said it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, that, and that's just, you know, I mean, honestly, pinning the whole series on one play, give me a break. I mean, that's freaking ridiculous. But, um, you know, it, it definitely was a, the symbolic play of the series, obviously. And the fact that those last two games in Philly that they lost, you know, Philly fans are Philly fans and, and that that heightens everything and and um now it's just a disaster. And whew, I mean, I'm sure you may bring up all the 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 sudden rock bottom trade value on Twitter that uh, people have for Ben Simmons, which is insane. Um but you know, it's not like he's going to be an easy guy to trade anyways. Uh, you know, he's got the massive salary right now that's just going. And, um, um, I, I, you know, there's no doubt there'd be a lot of suitors for him if you can buy low on him. But you're never really going to buy low because of the, the uh, contract status he has right now. But, um, whew, yeah, that was, was something. Yeah. Um, I think what I want to – what I really want to just hit on with this for a second – and this is not to uh, to throw shade at anyone, but I just this isn't being blunt and brutally honest. Like um, that, I saw all over on on Pacers Twitter today, and I had people reach out to me too, going like, you know, why would why would they trade for Ben Simmons? Uh, he's just gonna like, what does he fix for the team? It's not even about that. First of all, I don't in my mind, I don't really think a a trade for Ben Simmons from the Pacers is entirely feasible. Um, Things are possible. I don't really feel like getting to the machinations of it unless there's really something there. But, you know, in looking at this right now, I'm, he's by far, in a way, the best player on the team. If if he's here and he's the best player on the team since Victor was at his peak, and I, you could even argue that he's better than Victor was at his peak um, because that peak lasted for such a short time. Not to say that sounded very bleak, but point being, be the best prospect on the team. He's 24 years old. He's... Uh, same draft class as Domas. Like the the takes were wild today, and I have not understood them in the slightest bit. Um, he's a really talented player, and I know that he has he has flaws. You can say the th- same thing about any of the players on the Pacers team um, in a lot of regards, and that's not the again that's not to be unfair, but that's just being honest. Uh, ben Simmons is a really damn good basketball player, and if the Pacers were to make a trade for him, uh, it would not be a mistake. Uh, so that's just my take on that. I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to it, but um, I don't really have a yeah, full no, time. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, you think, oh gosh, yeah, if they're selling low, let's go. Um, and again, you know, the, <laughs> the salary is a killer, you know, when you think that the last year is going to be 40 million. And at this point, it's like, good God, that's a lot of cap space. But, um, but the fact is, yeah, you're right. He's, he's still, you know, not into his prime years and he, he's, so dynamic with everything other than shooting, which obviously is an issue, but it doesn't mean he's a finished product in that in that regard as well. Um, I know I did see something from um, Nate, not Nate, uh, Doc Rivers this afternoon, you know, saying they, they got a plan for him to work on his skill and shooting and, and stuff like that. So I think he was trying to soften, soften things up. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like, like you were saying, I, I don't know. I just find it hard to believe that they're just going to dump him to get rid of it, get rid of him um, because of all he can offer. And if they feel like they can, you know, get more out of him, um, he's not the he's not the reason they lost the whole series. Let's face it. Yeah, 
Exactly. Like you, that, that stuff's been wild to me and they, they need to cut it. They, we, we need to chill on it. I think one of the worst things about Twitter is how quickly people can just react to stuff instead of thinking. And I, uh, I think that that's something we could really benefit from just taking a minute to think it through. Um, also, I, I don't know. Part of me, I'm, I'm definitely very player defensive as, as you're aware, Tom. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like the dude knows that, that, that he needs to work on stuff. Um, or, you know, I'm sure people will counter that he doesn't. I, I just can't stand the idea that people think that he doesn't work hard. Um, like, I know yeah. there that, that that's just that that's where I draw the line. I think that there are uh, it's definitely fair to to poke holes in his game and and be critical to an extent. But some of it's just been a little too far. So that was the only thing I wanted to hit on with that. But uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the coaching search, which is ongoing currently. Adrian Wojnarowski from over at ESPN released today that the uh, the Pacers are meeting, oddly enough, with uh, with people in Chicago this week. I don't know why it's in mm-hmm. Chicago and not in Indiana. I, do, you, do you have any idea for that, actually? Yeah, um, there's like a G League elite uh, camp. Up oh, there that's right. Okay, that, that makes sense. Prospect, so I'm assuming that's where they're, they're kind of comboing up with that. So I know that Victor was out of town. Um, I don't know if he was on vacation or scouting <laughs> in some mm-hmm. remote locations or whatever. But uh, uh, I think he was out of town for about a week or so, which I think kept things quiet as well. But now I, I believe that um, – I, I know that was two or three days. I don't know if it's over yet. but No, um, it's still I'm not sure when the, com- the actual draft combine is. Um, but regardless, I believe that's – um, I know they're up there at the WNBA uh, arena up there doing that G League uh, elite camp. So, um, so anyways, I think that's why all the coaches are up there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that that makes a lot more sense. But yeah. Uh, so Woj reported today, uh, Pacers are beginning head coaching interviews in Chicago this week, including Steve Clifford, Brian Shaw, and Terry Stotts, uh, putting a premium on head coaching experience in the search. Stoss and Clifford have been consistent playoff coaches in recent years, and Shaw, now coach G League Ignite, has history as a former top assistant with Pacers. Um, I think I would ask right off the bat, what are your uh, what, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Uh, did that jog anything for you or change anything up based on on where you were at already with uh, with the coaching search? Uh, and, and not real surprising. I mean, I guess I just haven't been real hyped on the potential of. Steve Clifford, but he kind of fits the profile of an experienced coach that they want to look for at this point. Um, but again, you know, you need someone to come in and get the attention of this team and this roster. Um, and, you know, in, in my mind, in a positive way, I mean, it's been, I think it seems like last year was pretty negative for the most part. Um, and I know that for me, like Terry Stotts is, when you talk about the issues that um, Bjorkman had, you know, the human, the human relationship issues, whether it be with the staff, with the um, players, with the coaches or, or, you know, the stewardesses on the airline, <laughs> um, you know, Terry Stotts is that people person. He's a positive, great relationship guy from all accounts. Um, uh, in fact, I, <laughs> Just happened to be talking with a, a relative of mine this weekend who's a humongous Blazers fan. It was just mm-hmm. like, you know, loves Terry Stotts, but it was also almost a little Nate McMillan ish 
you know, like it's time to check, check things up. You know, it's it's time. Um, you know, I feel like Stott's probably knew what the team knew it ends up, but it's kind of a, a no one has it much ill uh, words to say about him. Um, and so from that, managing people and a program and all that, I, I feel like, you know, his experience would be great. Um, and, you know, and then what kind of assistant coaches is he going to have come in? Obviously, they need someone to focus on defense. Uh, at least for Stotts, that would be good. You know, Clippers, I'm, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd rather have, between those two, I'd rather have Stotts just because of what I'm talking about with that trying to change their culture um, and maybe inspire the players a little more. I feel like, um, I don't know if they would get too hyped about hearing about Clippers. I mean, he's he hasn't had great rosters. He's done pretty well with what he's had, but he's just done pretty well, I feel. Um, it's kind of been his his uh, best case. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's very interesting um, hearing about uh, Brian Shaw. Obviously, he was uh, a huge factor with Paul George when he was here um, and things with Paul George when kind of sour once he left. Um, he was kind of the PG whisperer for sure. And, um, you know, I know, I know he leaned heavily on, on Kobe Bryant uh, because of his experience with him at the Lakers. And, um, you know, Kobe wouldn't have done that or Kobe did this, you know, constantly was, was something Paul uh, would refer to. And, um, you know, I, I'm assuming he has more tricks in his bag than that. And, you know, he's, he's been working with those young players at the G League. Um, this year and kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, didn't I haven't had time to kind of dig more into that Denver. I know obviously he didn't have a uh, great experience there as a coach. So um, I feel like that the managing part of it is what would be um, making me a little nervous as far as the, managing the team. But I think relationship wise and getting that. A player buy-in and things. I think he'd be a great coach at bat. And um, again, I think even more important would be his assistant coaching staff who was around them and who was helping, you know, maybe some guys with more experience as well, um, being able to help um, take care of some of the, the details of, of the game game day and X's and O's and, and all that. Um, and, and he can handle managing the team and the, and the players and the, and the egos and all that. I think he'd be real good at that. So, um, you know, really, I, you know, I, I feel like a little bit trio of guys there with, with different things to offer. So, um, but they do have experience that I think the Pacers um, are looking for. And so in that sense, it makes, you know, it kind of makes sense that they're, um, they're there. It'll be interesting to see if any names pop up, you know, like a Chauncey Billups, Beckingham and you know still those coaches that we think if they got an opportunity would be great even though they haven't don't have that experience because you know they kind of did that last time and it flamed out so badly um I feel like they're really trying to avoid that this time around but gosh you know you never know but like they said I don't want the pendulum to swing too far the other way um so in that case I think um you know Brian Shaw would probably be the, the guy who's a pendulum wouldn't swing that far. Um, but it, it, as far as the first three, I, you know, it wasn't real titillating <laughs> you know, news, obviously. I don't know what you thought about it. 
Uh, but it was, at least there were some names and, and the process is going. And I feel like, you know, with, with those, the way news leaks out with the Pacers that maybe we'll start hearing more and more here this week. Cause obviously they're into it now up in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I think a lot, you had on a lot of great stuff and I have a couple of things I want to add. Number one with Steve Clifford, I have always really liked what he does. I think, um, I've seen the idea thrown around that, like, oh, you know, he's not a winner, this and that. Um, just look at the teams, man. Like, yeah, that, that was I think the, thing. The, the two best players that he's ever coached were, I mean, three best players, Kemba Walker, uh, Al Jefferson, and, and Nikola Vucevic. Like, and that's mm-hmm. not a dig at those guys, but like when those are your three best players all on different stops and in different forms, different teams, like that's, you're asking a lot. Um I've actually always really enjoyed his his, his he, he runs some pretty solid stuff on offense. Um, I'm not Nexus and Wizards wizard by any stance. So Caitlin would have a better thing on that if she does a co- coaching profile on him. Um, I wouldn't necessarily use the offense in Orlando as a gauge for, you know, how good they were and weren't like I liked a lot of stuff that they ran. Everything they did was predicated on building a really strong defense. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's just like Nate McMillan. It's a lot more about the roster. When your best offensive perimeter player is Terrence Ross, it's pretty hard to be an above average (laughs) offense. So, you know, that's just being realistic and being honest. Um, But I also have heard stuff and, and, you know, I'm aware of uh, he, you can kind of rub on guys a little bit is a sort of not to say in the same way as Nate, but I know he's, he approaches practice in a lot of the same way. Um, and it's just more of a, I don't just like saying old school coach, but in terms of his mentality towards basketball, sometimes that that's based on, on what I've heard. That's, that's where it's at. Um, so I would agree in terms of what that would be like, it feels like it would be a, a lot of a, um, a, a very big pendulum swing and course correction. If mm-hmm. they were to hire Steve Clifford, I wouldn't be like entirely against it, but I, I agree. It just seems kind of like, eh, I don't know, you know, if that's the right fit for the team. With Terry Stotts, um, I agree. Like like you're mentioning, the the player, uh, like in terms of setting a culture and getting right with the players, I think that's huge. Um, Caitlin's profile on which I'll try and link down below. Caitlin's profile on on Terry Stotts was awesome. Uh, I've always liked him as an offensive coach. I do think that he has room to improve defensively, but I also think okay, the roster in Portland is a big reason for why yeah. that defense yeah. was a failure. Um, and I just think too, a lot of the, like, like you're mentioning, you brought up such a great point with the assistants. I think I'm more, I wouldn't say worried, but I'm more interested on what assistants are willing to come to Indiana or who is going to bring them here. Because uh, I mean, that was just such a big issue this year. I think if you look at this, yeah. the staff, if they're built out differently, if it's more maybe experience might be the wrong way to put it, but if it's, if it's, I mean, given like they, they had guys with experience, but you know what I'm talking about? Like guys who are lifers, yeah. like you don't have somebody out there like Dan Burke who like there, there isn't a guy everywhere who's been around a team for 20 years, but there are guys on pretty much every organization who have been around for, you know, their entire lives in, in NBA coaching, like Mo Cheeks uh, is always with Billy Donovan. And that's, that's something that I always think stands out. Like you have to have somebody like that. Um, you know, I mean, just real quick on that, you know, I, we talked about it even when he was hired that, you know, I wish it was a, like a former head coach on the staff. And, and you know, there, were, there was a talk that Jeff Warnacek, who had been kind of a mentor for Bjorkman, was potentially that guy, but then um, didn't do it. Now, the thing that I find this interesting, 
not to go completely back to the Bjorkman over here, but just like, was it Bjorkman didn't want that type of a voice? You know, um, he wanted to do things his way, um, which I could see. Or was it those people didn't want to come to, to be on his staff with him or just come to Indiana? Or were they not willing to pay? You know, I mean, there's variables there for for why they may not have gotten that type of a assistant um, that I guess we'll never know <laughs> why. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would have thought that, uh, a, a, a you know, even a former head coach who wouldn't mind being a, a coach again would come in and, and want to be with a guy like that because, you know, you never know something goes wrong and all of a sudden you're elevated. Um, but, you know, I don't think you have too much, too many good coaches with quality experience on the bench, no matter who's coaching. And you see that, you know, around the league with, with you know, a lot of the better teams, they'll attract, you know, those veteran guys um, who are, you know, maybe thinking about a job later on down the road, but they're, they're putting in their time with, with some better teams. But, um, you know, at some point they're going to have to, to make it appealing, whether that's money or having the right guy to get those extra voices in there. Cause I mean, those assistants are working with the players every day, um, many hours and doing the skill development and, and, the men, you know, and part of that skill development is the mental development and getting them in the right, you know, positive mind frame to, to execute and know what they're doing and all that stuff, all that coaching stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's vital. And, um, so that, that, uh, definitely has to be part, you know, whoever's, whoever's interviewing for this job should be selling that part of it as well of what, you know, what their plans are for that staff because, um, it was exposed as a very important <laughs> important piece of the puzzle, I feel like, this year. Yeah. No, I, exactly. I, I think that we were, we're both in on the same thing there. Like, um, and, and that's what I think was was so lost in, in the Bjorkren hiring, and not even the Bjorkren hiring, but just in losing Nate McMillan and losing that entire staff is just what, mm. what made such a big difference. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that brings up another great point. And looking at Brian Shaw, I uh, – I'm not really entirely sure how to evaluate Brian Shaw because, like you mentioned, Denver did not go well. Um, but again, yeah. that's like okay, it's his first head coaching experience, um, which is not necessarily an excuse. But I'm also just I I don't know. I wasn't around for that. I'd have to do a lot more digging. But um, I liked some of the stuff you did with G League Unite and talking to some people who are a little bit closer to that situation. They were pretty impressed with how he handled things and and set that up. And again, you have to take it with a grain of salt, like. Um, his primary job there was not about winning games. It was about developing those guys, making them mm-hmm. grow into a way that was best suited for them and to, to get to the highest level they could before the draft. So I think you have to um, think about that. Like their offense was built around Jonathan Kaminga, who was like wildly inefficient, not to use that as like a dig on him, but just point being, I think he had 43 true shooting percentage this season <laughs> with, with the ignite. And he had the majority of the offensive usage because they were trying to get him on ball looks and see what that looks like. And it is very difficult to win at a high level when, when that is uh, what a lot of your, your offense is coming from. So just something to take with a grain of salt. And I agree too. I feel like he's got really good connects around the league uh, from what, right. you know, what, what we know. Um, and I'd, I just imagine that's true. We've played it in the league for a long time. He's really well-respected. Um, I'd be interested to see how that, that goes. One thing I would want to ask you though. Um, I mean, 
we'll talk about Rick Carlisle in a minute, but just overall mm. looking at yeah, <laughs> overall looking at this uh, uh, this initial thing, like one of the thoughts that went right through my head was I really just hope that the ownership isn't worried about paying the next head coach. Um, and maybe right. that's an unfair question, but that's something that did come up for me today because I was just legitimately wondering, you know, like, I hope that that's not a barrier uh, because if that is, that's deeply disappointing to me, especially how this last coach went out. Um, I just, uh, I'll, before I even say any more, and I'll let you go. Yeah. And, you know, that is, again, when I, when I talk about those variables with the assistant coaching job, um, that's something we can never know about this last hiring round was, um, you know, we kind of know the coaches that were, um, were in the mix there towards the end. And based on the fact that Bjorken was, was chosen, we probably know, you know, the, the type of coaches that were in the mix, those assistant coach types, um, who wouldn't command as big of a salary. And, um, you know, was it, Kevin Pritchard really trying to look outside the box and get these guys with the create creativity um, to to change up the way the Pacers did things, which Brooklyn did offensively, um, or was it like okay, we're trying to find um, you know one of the most innovative guys who hasn't gotten a chance because we just don't want to pay? Um, and you know, I guess I would go back to like okay, is it going to be Mike D'Antoni's going to change over the offense and then the for a big salary, or we can bring in a young guy to just do it um, and try and try and hit a home run and get lucky um, with the with the next just great basketball mind um, and get in on the on the, on the uh, ground floor with the guy so it doesn't cost as much. So um, I, I don't know. I I feel like they would at this point they they need that strong leader and and. I'm, you know, you look at Rick Carlisle to me, obviously, to me, I'm biased, I guess. He'd probably be my number one choice and probably be worth the most money. For what, excuse me, for the situation the Pacers are in. So um, I would think that they would be willing to pay that to, to bring him back um, and, and do that. But I don't know. You know, it's, if, if it is, if it does start to become a, a cost thing, I mean, I kind of hope that type of information keeps out from somewhere because it's got to be frustrating the hell out of the front office, if not Kevin Pritchard, a lot of other people. Um, but, but, you know, um, the, the league already isn't a level playing field. And then if you're hamstringing yourself as it is um, uh, with, with costs, then uh, you, you're really, you know, fighting an uphill battle. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is a very important hire right here. And, and honestly, you know, Pritchard's made the great deals, you know, a couple of great deals, which are, are um, you know, helping him out in this situation. But you can't have a bad, a, a second bad coaching hire and have that go south um, without also being shown out the door. So, um, I, you know, they, they got to step up to the plate on this. But yeah. am I 100 percent confident they will? I guess is your ultimate question. I guess not. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're in the same boat on that. Um, I'm very hopeful that uh, that's not playing a factor, uh, but we're not going to know until we uh, until we we know. And yeah. again, that that's something that would come out of a leak. We almost never know what a coaching salary is. Um, 
Yeah, with Rick Carlisle, so I'm not really sure what to think about this. I think you can look at everything and say, okay, well, Rick Carlisle is one of the most respected head coaches in the league over the last 20 years. Um, obviously had a really successful run in Indiana. Um, well, okay, I think that had a, uh, a confusing but somewhat successful run in Indiana. The losing was oh, not really his was, fault. Um, yeah, it like was it's very successful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he won 61 games in his first year. So, but point being, I mean, malice at the palace happens the next year. It's just, it's, it's a, it's convoluted. It's, it's not, you know, it's hard to look at. Um, but my point is, uh, you know, and I, I'm not trying to like feed rumors or anything, but this is just, I mean, Rick Carlisle is uh, definitely a, uh, could be described as a micromanaging type personality. Um, so I'm just curious how that actually vibes uh, with the locker room. Um, I, I would say outright, like I, I mean, just based on everything we've heard, like Jay Michaels had really great reports on it. If, uh, if the team was winning, things go differently this year. And I think I'd also say too, that any team that's winning or successful probably is not as picturesque as it looks from the outside. I'm sure that if they were, you know, three or four games under 500 instead of a 50 win team, then things look different. Um, and if they're doing things that aren't questionable on court, then it, it looks different because we're not, we're not seeing that stuff come out and guys aren't trying to leak stuff to, uh, to, to make things happen or, or to, to cause some kind of change. Um, but I would just say that is something that, that stood out to me right away. As soon as I saw Rick Carlisle's, Car- Carlisle's name get mentioned to Indiana, I was like, okay, well, um, that just in all honesty, Rick Carlisle is definitely can uh, he he fits along that same mold. And I'm yeah, not saying that's and, good or bad. Just the you know that that's just fact of the matter. Right, but yeah, I mean the guy is just a, I don't know, I'd say he's a great coach. He's a guy who you know, um, you line up twelve guys, everybody has the same twelve guys, and who's going to coach him best? He's going to be among the top coaches, in my opinion. Yeah, um, no, I agree. He's one of the adapt, three best coaches coach in the NBA. Yeah, um, and uh, and my my you know initial thoughts like, oh great, get Bird on the phone. He can get him, you know whatever it <laughs> takes. But um, I'll, also, I mean, there's some really attractive jobs that I think he would probably, you know, I, I don't, I think he would love to try and see what he could do with Zion and that group in New Orleans. You know, I think obviously he has ties in Boston. That would be. Uh, attractive, you know, although does he want to work for Brett Stevens? I don't know, but um, so I, I can see where um, he's got options um, and you know, it just it just always sucked my felt life, the way it ended in Indy because um, you know it, people say he was fired, but that you know, it, it, that, that was such a mess and that was, a, I firmly believe a, a, a favor labor did for him to not make him go through a rebuild <laughs> and let him let him free um because after after the um miles in the palace of a team that was trending towards you know being a championship contender without a doubt um that you know they, they were gonna have to start over and and uh didn't want to have to go through that because um you know he's he's a team that takes it players that are ready to win and, and can help them win. So um, I'd love to see him come back and, and try and do, do that with this crew now and, and see what he could get out of them. But um, 
Uh, we'll see if they even get if they even get an interview this time around. Um, but I, I I don't think it's a matter of oh he was fired he wouldn't come here. Um, I just don't think that's the way that relationship ended. So um, we'll see. I'll, I'm I'm gonna hold out hope until the coach's next. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think uh, I mean my two cents on it is like even with that that caveat at the beginning, um, like yeah, Rick Carlisle would be the number one choice for me clearly like I think he's he's the best coach of the bunch like um obviously Terry Stotts I hold in high regard as well but Rick Carlisle is literally just one of the best coaches in the NBA so if you could get him to come to Indiana and the fit makes sense and I don't think that there's really any justification for not making that happen but again like you're mentioning I mean would I rather go coach Boston would I rather go coach New Orleans I don't I don't know but um it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um is there anybody else who's come up or anything else that you're thinking about that you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, I, you know, I, the whole coaching search thing, you know, there's, there's a lot of the same names and a lot of the same assistants that we went through last summer, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I would love to see half those guys take a shot at it, you know, um, with, the, with this Pacers group, because I feel there's enough talent there to, if healthy, as we always have to say with the Pacers, I guess. Um, yeah. Could, could really make an impact and make a difference and, and really see a career blossom and, and, and take off. But, um, you know, when, when we're going with the experience hand right here, and that's why I'm like of the bunch, like you said, I feel like Carlisle's the best, but um, I'm just, I, I'm just going to be interested to see um, how varied the list is. Cause right now, um, you know, were Brian Shaw to Steve Clifford, I think, if you're talking pendulum swinging, right? Yeah. Clifford all the way over, back down the stats, down to B. Shaw. Um, I'll just be interested to see how many other names come out associated to talking about the job with the Pacers. Um, and I know we'll be talking about it, but I, I feel like I, I don't know how many um, of those, those, those coaches that don't have the heavy experience they're even going to top you and it'll be real interesting to see if they do um i'm hoping they do um but um i I couldn't pick out one right now and say that guy seems like the right guy for the pacers because um with all the variables we've been talking about it's really getting hard to tell (laughs) who's right for the pacers yeah i agree um there's a lot up in the air and i think again as we've hit on the biggest thing is just okay well who is going to be on the team next year? Because that drastically changes any answer. That probably <laughs> changes the answer for a coach too. Um, but yeah. we're going to find out. I mean, the first first trade has already happened, which is that kind of uh, slipped through the cracks. Um, I mean, not not on Twitter. People freaked out about that, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. The draft lottery is tomorrow, um, or I guess I should say today, because this will be releasing tomorrow morning. But um, we will have more on that. We'll have a better idea of, I mean, I still am just, please do not hold out hope that the Pacers are going to get a top five pick because I just, there's like hey, a 1.8% chance of it happening. So just. Right. Yeah. If they buck the odds, the only way they're going to do it is because Nancy Leonard's there and she's a miracle worker <laughs> over the years of the franchise. So they're going to have her in the seat. They're doing everything they can. <laughs> so that, that much I appreciate. That's a real nice, um, nice gesture by the Pacers that, to uh, uh, do that, and maybe Slick will work some magic from up above and uh, and, and pull it out. But um, yeah, and, and honestly, 
if they do an lottery, it's all it Slick gets all the credit. <laughs> He's, he'll be doing something. Um, so uh, that would be that'd be wonderful. But yeah, it's not something I'm gonna gonna be uh, hoping or expecting to happen. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, wishfully think, but also don't 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 bank on it. Um, well, Tom, this was a good time. It's always good to catch up to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day.